0: spirituality, you want to look at, and this is the kind of the focus of this session, is we need to be doing more than just going to mass. That's part of that charism. You need to be asking yourself, what else can I do? Because you need to be a little more active participating in your spiritual life than just kind of showing up. And then likewise, when it comes to family, some people maybe don't have children or they don't have the, they can refer back to their family of origin. So you just kind of have to modify it in that way. And there's a section in the next two pages that gives you a little better direction on how you might do a pretty decent assessment of that. So you can take a look at that and spend a little more time with that later on. But what you need to notice is if any one of these areas is not equal, the, the wheel can't roll. So there's not going to be balance. And that's where people sometimes struggle when you're in a state of flux or anxiety or depression, as we talked about before. If you're in that state, you're not able to evangelize. You're not able to live the mission. All you care about is like, get me out of this pain. That's all anybody cares about. They can't focus on anything else. So that's what we're kind of, Focusing on this week, when you're looking at the, the two sacraments and balancing life, one of them has to do with your obligation as you're finding your purpose and going through life. Now, a lot of people go through life, I know people that are, you know, Franciscans. They're not priests, they're brothers. They've entered into consecrated life, and they just spend their life living in that, that environment and that community. But for most people, in this room at least, I would suspect that most people have either entered into marriage or they're thinking about marriage or they've, they've been in a marriage and they've had to maybe reassess what happened in that marriage. Now the church is allegedly um, working harder to try to help people prepare. And I've really, as a counselor, I've, I've had few people come in to get counseling prior to marriage. When they do, I'm doing the happy dance because I can't believe they did that. Now, I mean, my husband and I did that. Um, I was in graduate school at the time and I had already gone to counseling. So we were mandated to get 30 hours of counseling. So we used it for pre-marriage counseling in addition to what the church had already had us do. So we got to cover lots of territory <laughs> and we just recently celebrated 34 years of marriage. So what it involves is also how are you going to live in such a way that you're living the mission? Are you doing that? Now we've been very blessed with two happy, healthy, well-adjusted children um, who are decent human beings. And if we've done nothing else, that, that to us, in fact, we were just discussing it, we got two really good girls. And sometimes what a lot of people notice is when you're in a world where not everybody's making those kinds of decisions, it's hard to be a good person. In fact, when you look at the Beatitudes, right, blessed are those who suffer because of me. That's what it is. It's when you're trying to live in alignment with Christ and you're in a world where they're trying to create the image that being Christian is countercultural. You know, that's the thing, oh well that's not in. What does that even mean? I don't know how people can get into those discussions. So does anybody have any insight already or any comments on how difficult it is to keep everything in balance? Has anybody had one part of their life that's so out of balance that they struggle to just that one thing, just to get that back in? For, for example, um, physical health. Right now, when somebody's suffering in any kind of pain, it's very hard to think of anything else. I mean, how many people have learned about some of, the, some of the saints that we have who suffer? Now, I've been in physical pain before, and I gotta say and confess, I'm not all about embracing it right away. What do we do? We fight it like everything else, right? That's what happens. So just to take a look at that and and spend some time on it because sometimes people don't notice really. I had a a woman the other day who was struggling with a lot of anxiety, multiple things going on. One of them was to retire after having worked and in fact, increase the workload after her children were grown to the point where she was working a lot and then suddenly stopped. Now she's retired, right? Well, not only that, they transplanted from another state so, she was looking at her, her balance wheel and went, oh my gosh, I don't have any friends. I never, I never bothered to make friends. I, oh, what, and it sounds like such an understatement. You're like, what? But that can be a cause of total distress, why? Because how do we learn about ourselves through other people? When you isolate yourself from other people, that's what happens. You begin to feel distress, right? We need other people but we also get to pick and choose, right? You'd only wanna surround yourself with the people that are gonna bring you closer to Christ. So it's important to take a look like that and then try to solve it because the other part of it is, for example, a lot of people struggle with social anxiety, especially if they have like been married and they become widowed or, or they are divorced or something happens and suddenly they have to redefine themselves socially there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. One of the greatest solutions to that is to volunteer. I'm a huge proponent of volunteering. My kids have been volunteering since they were children. Um, it's very important to do, but when you're struggling with social anxiety, it's the greatest thing ever. Why do you think? Because when you volunteer, they're so excited to have you there. <laughs> you know, Nobody's gonna go, what are you doing here, you weirdo? You know, nobody does that. They're so happy to have you there. So it's a win-win and it can also be done in such a way that you start out with maybe a project. You don't have to commit to every Tuesday, just start out with just one project and then ease your way in. That's an easier way to reach out to people and as as my uh, teens who are, are very connected to the internet, it's a filter, okay? Because if you volunteer someplace that you have some interest, there's a pretty good likelihood that the other people there have that same interest. So right there you have something in common and it kind of breaks the ice a little bit. So does that kind of make sense where we have to start from someplace, but give it a good hard look. The other thing I was gonna add as we're wrapping things up is one of the problems, as I kind of referenced at the beginning, with faith formation and personal development is any component that was introduced but not fully internalized isn't always obvious until stress is put upon that system. And that might not happen until there's some transition that occurs or even then, if the individual, as we kind of talked last week, doesn't communicate that to you, to their faith formers and and personal developers, then you're completely unaware. You know, because the church does a good job to, to bring us into religious education. People often go to Catholic schools. They do those kinds of things, but, but unless the, the whole situation is tested, you don't really know if you really are, have internalized those things. So that's what happens where a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, what did we do wrong? My kids aren't going to church. You know, well, a lot of times you did everything right, but it was never tested and so there was not a lot of questions um, that could be answered in that way. And one of the blessings that you have here at St. Pius is you have a, a, a theologian here. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys know that Father Lynn has three master's degrees. I mean, coming to Tuesdays for exploring Catholicism is an actual blessing because very few priests really are theologians i mean you think well yeah they are but not really he has a- explored a lot of this territory and is truly the kind of person that you want to ask if you have any questions at all and back to our thinking errors right when you something maybe didn't hit you right or through throughout your faith formation don't just draw some conclusion ask for clarification find out if there's something you missed out on it makes a lot more sense to you when you have some way of applying it. Because a lot of us went through our education and then it just kinda sat there. It's kinda like taking a Spanish class and then you never practice, right? You you don't know if you really understand it or not. So when you get to the point where that's something that needs to be addressed, definitely come in here and and ask. And and that's what, we're also gifted to have him offer this. I know a lot of people that are, Work their way up the chain I don't even know if they have Monsignors too much anymore, but um, you know some of them become go out and get all this education, and then there it sits. <laughs> you don't really get access to it because then they're in leadership positions, so we're really gifted to have that here, so definitely fully utilize this and then we're going to be looking at um, the individual and the couple in marriage so the church doesn't really present it like this but I do when people come to counseling we have to have two healthy well adjusted children of god coming together so that they can fully live the mission faithfully so it doesn't work if one or the other isn't in sync okay so so when people come in and you do your your background and you check your beliefs and and those kinds of things that I do in counseling, it's really important that you address those things because we don't wanna go where one person is seeking out another person to answer a need. You already have to be self-sufficient and together you enhance one another. Together you bring out the best in each other. And that's part of that codependency we looked at. Um, a couple weeks ago because that's something that, that happens a lot and then of course if you can't address that need or something changes there's the problem. So similarly in consecrated life um, people who don't fail to address some of the challenges effectively they don't fully execute their duties. I, I've had the great blessing of being friends with a couple of priests. One guy I met when he was a seminarian And it's been fun to watch him grow and develop. And he knew in himself, when he felt that conversion, he knew when he started looking at becoming a priest, he was not gonna be able to be a diocesan priest. He was aware of the loneliness. He knew how hard it would be. And so he lives in community with Franciscans. He's also just kind of like a really fun guy. And so he found his niche working in the Newman Center in some of the, the different colleges. And he's great, he's great for that. And he's also helping with vocation. So it's important for people to do that too. And, and oddly, again, the Pope hasn't called me to ask for my opinion on what we should add to the curriculum for the seminarians. But I would add a few more things, but again, he hasn't called me up. So starting with that, um, we, we need to look at those things from the position of marriage. I don't know if anybody actually has done that when they got married to really produce children that are going to be in the church and carry on that tradition or recognize just literally from the beginning of the church how long the priesthood has gone on and the bishops it it really is is overwhelming sometimes when you think about the continuity that's gone on and so it's our our responsibility to keep things going and right now i think a lot of people do just you know show up for church and And that's it. And maybe they might do something nice for somebody and help some lady across the street or, you know, but we need to do a little bit more than that. Because right now, again, we're not going to get deceived. We're not going to get deceived in believing that being Christian is countercultural. It's not. Again, 2.4 billion. Okay, so do not be deceived. But it requires now, you want to advance the faith, you're going to have to speak it. And that can be done through actions. Right? So anybody who comes in, I mean, God love Teresa and and Gina and the people that come in here every Tuesday morning and have everything ready. That's a charism. That's awesome. And sharing it. That's a gift. And we thank them for that. And that's something that everybody has won. Everybody does. I mean, believe me when I tell you, I've had to work with some people. I'm struggling a little to try to find out what that gift might be, but I can find it. If you look hard enough and people have a gift, what they wanna do is live it. And it doesn't always have to be like what Father was talking this morning. It's not always material. Again, that's the deception. That's separating you from Christ to focus in on the material goods instead of the journey. We need to be focusing on the journey. It's gonna take on different, different looks throughout your whole life. I mean, people have, have in here, have had careers using their talents that just changed according to whatever role might have appeared at that moment. But you don't focus in on, well, what is this going to do for me? How is this going to elevate me into a position of power? That's not the reason for it. So does anybody have any questions right now as we go kind of review some of the things we learned? Remember we started with the ABC model? everybody remember that, where we have an activating event? That will stimulate a belief that you may may or may not be aware of, some preconceived notion about something, especially if it stimulates some reaction in you. If you find yourself encountering something that stimulates a reaction, good or bad, just to be aware of it, pay attention to it, and notice what that means, from there, Look to see if there have been any thinking errors. Remember those thinking errors we talked about attached to it and the emotions that come with it. How do you regulate your emotion? What do you do about that? Can you regulate your emotion? You, you sure can, but you have to practice. And the whole goal that I was hoping with these to adopt a daily plan is that you begin to train yourself to do this every day. Every day, you write out what you're going to do that day and include all seven of these tools that we talked about. In fact, yesterday when I was looking at gratitude, um, what I wrote in there is that I get to go to mass every day. I mean, there are people in, even in, in this country who don't get to go to mass. I get to go every day and I don't have to worry about me getting my head cut off. I mean, some of these places, they go to mass. Right now, Easter? That's a little bit of a turbulent time. So those are the things that we want to be very, very mindful of and keep that in the forefront as we're proceeding through the day because it's gonna go easier if you start from that perspective. And then recognize your behaviors. You have a choice. I mean, most of the people that come to counseling, to be honest, the perpetrators aren't coming. (laughs) It's the victim. The victim's coming to counseling. Somebody did something to somebody else, either now or a long time ago, and they're having trouble reconciling it. Well, I agree with that, you're right. It's not to say that that bad things don't happen. In fact, nobody gets through this life unscathed, nobody. So when you look at those things, the only thing you have a choice over is how you're gonna respond, that's it. That's the only thing you can do. You cannot control another person. You can't control their behavior, but you can control yours. So I remember my mom always said, two wrongs don't make it right. You know, when you react and you do something to somebody else because they hurt you, you know, that's absolutely correct. And the one who can make the better decision makes it from a place of logic. I was just gonna review too to remember that when you're looking at knowing yourself, Part of it has to do recognizing from a physical point of view to to know about how your brain works. We talked a little bit about neuroplasticity and how that works. And once you start to train yourself in this method of of approaching your faith life, you're going to have a better chance at at determining how you behave and staying in alignment with Christ. Because you have to know yourself and know the things that, that will get a rise out of you. I mean, most people know exactly what buttons get pushed, right, you know what to do, but it's not enough to just be aware of it, you have to have worked through it. I think I mentioned when working with with people in juvenile facilities, those kids are, are gonna, they not only know what buttons to push, they're gonna keep pushing them and keep trying until they find the one that does, you remember the one I told you about where the guy thought he had it all together and the kid was yelling things down the hallway at him and then he's I bet you were a fat little kid too, you know, and that was it. The kid kept pushing, pushing, pushing till he hit something that was going to get a rise out of him. And it's not enough to just know of it, look at that vulnerability and say, okay, all right, maybe that was a little vulnerability I had, but I don't need more and I get to decide. But go through that process. Instead of just reacting. So when we're in that state, we have a much greater chance of centering on church, right? If every day you behaved like you were living a holy life. That was what we talked about from the beginning. That's what we wanted to do is try to adopt a holy life during Lent so that we can learn how to do that every day. There's no reason why you can't. And it's, it's going to keep you in perfect alignment. So does anybody have any questions right now about any of those concepts that we've learned so far? Anybody brave enough to ask any questions <laughs> about something? Because what Father talked about earlier was that conversion. When you get to the point where you're really good at this and it just flows and things don't seem to bother you. Um, I had a seven-year-old the other day who said to me, You know, Miss Maureen, you don't seem to ever get mad. Just ever. What's that all about? And it's fun to to have kids see you every time. They know that you're going to be the same every time. They can trust that, that you're going to be approaching them with love and kindness every time. And they know that there's a lot of comfort that comes in that. And you can implement that in your daily life. And that's the thing too, where when people get separated from Christ is when they go through this stage of the grief. So when we talked about dying to self, that, that I believe from the minute you're baptized, you begin the process of physical death, right? But then you start dying to self at the same time because you're having to go through all the sacraments and trying to build that conversion experience and when you find that you're fully formed, you can live that mission every day. And it's like, again, do you wanna be living in a state of anxiety or a state of comfort? And you can find that place if you practice these concepts every day. So one of the things that will happen, people have said to me, a lot of people have said to me, you know, my kids aren't going to church anymore, I don't know what to do, and they're fretting about it. And, and you know, you, you have to get to the point where you did all you could and then you model that joy that you have. And eventually the reason that a lot of people leave is the reason they come back. I've had a lot of people tell me that they left. Well, I don't want all that structure. They make you jump through all these hoops and, you know, all this stuff. And, but that's the reason they come back because they want that structure. People want it. They, there's a lot of comfort in it. But there's also going to be a lot of grief that goes on when people realize that they were deceived they believed some of these lies, they believed them. And when they find that out, they're gonna be doubly traumatized, right? Because they know that both they were separated from Christ during that time because they believed it. And it makes it doubly traumatic. I told someone it's kind of like if you're treating someone for a rape and halfway through the treatment, they discover it was their seventh grade science teacher. You know, I mean, it it becomes doubly traumatic when they realize they believe the lie. So the best you can do is when you're in a state of grace and you're focused and you're anchored, you can provide that support because there will come a time where you just gotta be there for them. Can't say anything, just be there and they'll come back. And that's what you have to do, is just recognize that you yourself have to be in that state And it doesn't do you any good to conk them on the head trying to get them to come back. You know, oddly, that doesn't work. Um, (laughs) We've tried that before. The church has tried that before. It didn't work out. So looking on your your paper with the scripture, I think what could be really helpful too, especially this week during Holy Week, is to focus on our Easter hope and the hopeful future. I know a lot of people have shared a lot of distress about what's going on in the world, and there is. But when you seek comfort... That's what you want to be doing, is turn to Christ and seek comfort there. That's the thing that's going to happen. And again, that's part of the grieving process is when people realize, oh man, I could have done this from the beginning, and instead I stress myself out. Um, so look at John 11, 25, 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And those are the kind of questions you either believe it or you don't. In fact, I was thinking about, I was in a, uh, in government agencies, they always have redundant silly ways of evaluating you. And one of the things I had one time is they came in and they they were ranking me on dependability. (laughs) I remember looking at the supervisor going, how do you get ranked on dependability? You either are or you aren't. And, and when it comes to this, this is the one time black and white thinking is okay. Um, you either believe or you don't. So when you believe, it needs to be your first go-to. When something happens, you get a terrible diagnosis. You hear of a horrible accident. You, you um, Also, you encounter something good. The first thing you want to do is go to your maker. That's what you want to do. You want to seek comfort in Christ. When we are ill, when we have something happen, we need to be seeking comfort in Christ first. It's always going to go better. One, what does it do? You Remember the, the STOP acronym I talked about? It anchors you. You stop, you take a breath, you observe it, you kind of look at your old plans, and then you make a decision to do something different. So think about that this week especially. And as for the future, this is one of my favorite scriptures, it's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And that is true. Anybody who says, well, you know, God's just torturing you with that because you're bad. You know, that, that is not what God wants. And, and that was kind of the old school, remember that? Kind of that punitive... <laughs> method of teaching, because I think people thought that that you learned better that way, but I personally have never met anybody who learns well by intimidation. Just doesn't seem to work very well. But just to keep in your mind that if there's something to be learned, it's not for bad. It's always going to be for something good. Just sometimes there's a delay, and we kind of wish we could hurry it along and figure out what it's all about. So, the next one that I think um, is important that you should arm yourself with every day. Um, in fact, my daughter had a friend who um, had made some unwise decisions as a 16 year old young driver. And so his mother put this on his vehicle, Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, because when you're trying to approach any situation, start with that. And it's going to be a lot easier. And then when it comes to the second half of what I'm going to address today is about sticking with people who are going to bring out the best in you. One, the, the first letter of Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And that is true. It is so much easier for somebody to bring you down than for you to bring them up. Right, I mean, have you noticed that? And, and has anybody ever noticed that like from an energy perspective too? You know, you've met these people that, that they come in and it's like they sucked the oxygen out of the room. Have You ever had that happen? Well, are you living with the person? <laughs> Is there some reason you have to hang around with them? You can try to bring in a positive energy. I certainly try to do that when I go to some of these assisted living homes because I know that it, it can be somewhat difficult in those places, and so you can do it either way, but it is a lot harder to bring somebody up. Um, so the more you surround yourself by people who are like-minded, who have the same goals, the more likely it is you're gonna be able to stay in alignment, and that's part of what we're gonna do um, in this next section too is accountability. So when you're trying to make an adjustment, because this is all about a lifestyle. I think I said that from the beginning, my hope was to share some concepts and techniques and strategies to help adopt a healthy, holy lifestyle. It's a lifestyle change. As I mentioned, you know, they were talking about, oh, we need to put counselors in police cars. And I was like, well, we need to put counselors in doctor's offices. Because anytime somebody goes into the doctor, there's an indication something needs to change. And typically, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't wanna stop eating all that bad food, you don't wanna to have to start exercising. You know, those are things that when you know it's in your best interest to do it, it requires a, a lifestyle change, so you need some accountability there. And there's a lot of research to support that, that if you have an accountability partner, you're much more likely to stick to it, right? I remember um, I used to run and there was this girl named Mary Peters. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't want to get up and go down there and run. But I knew Mary was going to be down there. And so I'd get up out of bed when it's freezing cold and go down there and run. And that's what I hope in this, in in our St. Pius parish or St. Thomas or anywhere you're from, to find an accountability partner. Somebody you've maybe seen at Mass or you've seen them at you know some fellowship activity or someplace and just reach out to them and say, you know what, I'm really trying to stick to a daily plan. Would you be my accountability partner? Can we help one another? Just, you know, maybe on once a week, just check in and see how we did this week and what maybe we can do. What can we what did we do? Especially when you're looking at the different components, every day be grateful for something. And I know that's hard when your life isn't where you want it to be. And it sounds so trite, but it's true. You, you have to be grateful for what you have already in order to invite more in. And, and it's, it's a hard concept for people that feel like if they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any at all. <laughs> you, know? you meet those people and you're like, oh, this is gonna be kinda rough. But that's where they have to get that place. Just start with it. And it begins to shift. You'll notice a shift. And that's the funniest thing, too, when you start with prayer. When you start with prayer, it's, it's the strangest phenomenon. And I can't really explain it. Hence the reason it's a mystery. But um, when, when you start with prayer and you have a strong intention, this is what I'm going to do. God just weirdly rearranges things to make it happen. People fall into your life. Uh, odd things happen when you hold that intention, but you start it from a place of prayer. Has anybody ever had that happen? You're like, well, I don't know how this is gonna work out. And then you just begin and it starts. I mean, anybody come in here starting a new business, right? You start a new business and you're thinking, oh, <laughs> this, why, did, why did I say I was gonna do that? You know, or something, and, and then you begin and you hold that intention and you start with prayer and things will a, arrange themselves in your favor. So the last one I put down there, but, but make it a habit to do these things. Find these, um, first John four, seven, beloved, let's love one another for love is from God. And everyone who, who loves has been born of God and knows God. And that's true. When you give love, you get love. And even when the person's not necessarily receiving it, right? When you kind of like in a place to show love to people that maybe aren't showing it back, right? I remember when the kids were little and telling them that you know we want them to to give love. And well, sometimes I do that and they don't give it back. (laughs) Well, that's true, a lot of kids will say that, right? Well, you treat people the way you wanna be treated. Well, sometimes they don't do it right away, so guess what you figure out? Seek out the ones who do. That's what you do. You don't have any reason to be with those folks. I I had a teenager a couple of months ago, I had to say to her, so this girl that you're interacting with is always rude to you. She manipulates the people around you to be rude to you too. And every time you walk away from her, you feel awful. Now, why are you with her again? And when you present it like that, they go, oh, I don't know. Well, maybe she's like the shot caller in school or something, but do you feel good when you're around this person? Cut her loose. And the kid said to me, I can do that. Honestly, this is where people get stuck in these negative cycles and they have a choice. This person, if they are having you feel badly about yourself, you're separated. It it doesn't look like the obvious sin, right? You know, because a lot of times we think of sin like, oh, I'm separating myself. I'm turning away from God. But when you interact with people who are nothing but negative, that person is separating you. So cut them loose. You don't need to be around that. Now, it's not to say we're not going to encounter difficult people and we have to sidestep them. No, they're going to be there. But then again, you can do it well if you do it joyfully and you imagine the outcome to be one of good. When you imagine that outcome, it, it's, it's a whole different thing, especially when you, you've had to interact with people that you're giving directives to or you're representing a, a higher entity or something and you have to give a directive. When you're very intent, you know exactly what you mean, you don't get manipulated. You know exactly what has to happen. I had supervised the first treatment court in the state of California for people who had substance use issues. And I remember how difficult it was for people when they would discover what they had to do in lieu of going to jail. And it was going to have an assessment done by me, they had to go to counseling, they had to do all these things. And a lot of times they would be really angry and mostly angry at themselves. And so many times, you know, there was a lot of, A lot of profanity (laughs) coming my way, and, and you're just holding the phone going, sir, I'm sorry you feel that way. Maybe you need to go back to court and ask the judge if you could just go to jail. You know, and then they kind of get the picture a little better, but you have to be very clear about what your intention is, and then it comes out a lot easier and politely. I wasn't rude, I'm always respectful. And as I said to some of the interns when I was working with them, it's gonna sound silly, But you have to come back to them with respect, even when they're not doing that to you. You bring them up to you. And that's where we're at right now. This is our final challenge is, are you going to be able to commit to doing this every day? I can tell you goal setting is the most successful way to have a happy life. It sounds like, well, I'm, you know, I'm retired now. I don't really have any goals. Well, yeah, you do. Most of it's around doctor's appointments, let's face it. Um, but for the most part, how do you wanna go through your life? What do you wanna do now when it comes to the later season in life? Okay, you, everybody here probably had some, some kind of career where they were demonstrating their talents. It's by no means over. My dad was 93 when he passed away and he was still auctioning at the Cattlemen's Convention when he was 89. You know, so you want to keep doing something that helps you feel like you're moving forward in your life and using those God-given gifts. And especially when it comes to church, we, we need to be acting in a way that, that, I mean, I actually heard somebody say this, uh, they came into the church and were asking for I forget what it was now. I, even it was even directions to someplace, and I remember um, that that the the girl up front was kind of new, and she said she said, "Oh, um, she was kind of looking through her stuff. Oh, did did we did we have that advertised somewhere?" And she goes, "Well, no, you're Catholic. That's what you do." <laughs> and I thought that's true. That's what we do. People think of, of the Catholic Church as people who help. That's what you do, but. As, as Father Len has said, and, and Father John has said, and other priests, you need to be helping in such a way that you're moving them forward. We want to be teaching people to fish. So every day we need to commit to doing this, this guideline, because when you're doing that, you're, you're exuding love for yourself, for others, and for Christ. And we need to become waymakers. Again, if we're struggling all the time, we're not evangelizing. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, it feels like we've kind of been in like a stalled state for quite a while. You know, where everybody's just trying to get through the day. You know, you're just trying to get through the day and what we don't want is what I'm seeing a lot around young people is that every man for himself kind of attitude. That is not what we want to have happen. And that's where it's going. Because when people are swimming around in anxiety and depression, shame, guilt, all that stuff, they're not moving forward. And that's what you have to do. And applying these concepts, I can tell you, it's very evidence-based. If you apply these concepts through this way, it is likely that you will be successful. So being waymakers, it's our job, and it's our job to stay on course so we can support the people who have gone off course they have been separating themselves. And when they finally connect, we wanna be there from a place of comfort. You know, I had the great, great blessing of having a teacher named Father Thomas Kane. He was a Dominican at the University of Dallas. I went to a Catholic undergraduate school. And that guy was, he just, was God walking around. I mean, it was just amazing. You're like, no one can be that happy all the time. <laughs> How can that be, right? But he did, he just lived love. It just, it was, like, it was like radiated from him. There was, he never once heard him say anything bad. And that's what you want. You want to be the person that they say, oh, that person never says anything bad. You know, that person's always a positive person. And, and when you practice the habit of random acts of kindness, you will be that person. You will be that person that say, wow, they're always giving. They're always generous. That's what you want. And generosity doesn't mean money. I certainly don't have money. Um, but I chose, I chose a life of service. And unlike consecrated life, no one's taking care of me. Um, but <laughs> so you have to, though, be generous with your charism. And when you do that, you're going to find that things are going to go much better for you. So we need to support each other with the same faith goals. I feel like everybody in here does have the same faith goals. And pulling it off is a little bit of a challenge, but everybody has that same faith goal. And I, I have to say, I appreciate anybody being here during Holy Week. I was surprised this many people came, so I certainly appreciate that. But if you've learned anything about yourself, does anybody feel like they've learned anything more about themselves or anything Uh, you don't necessarily have to raise your hand, Um, but if you've learned something about yourself and you feel like you have somehow deepened your relationship, please thank Father Len for his vision to let me offer something like this to help unify the parish because he he really is a visionary in that way and he really does want to unify the parish and bring us together because he, like me, we're kind of, we got that Irish Catholic thing going on where everything talks cheap, Right, you know, it's what you're gonna do that makes a difference. I had that judge that, my kids say this all the time, he used to say woulda, coulda, shoulda. Doesn't wanna hear about that. Doesn't wanna hear about what you woulda, coulda, shoulda done. What are you doing now? Every day. So I guess I'll just, um, if anybody has any questions, does anybody have any brave enough to ask a question or anything? Otherwise, I just wanted to say that it's been my honor to serve you and so many faithful Catholics. So please know that if you ever want to reach out to me, I, I have some business cards here. Um, I'm here in Court d'Alene Tuesdays and Thursdays and I'm in Sandpoint Mondays and Wednesdays, uh, but just if you see me in church at a different times, please approach me because, like I said, I don't have my glasses on because I had to see this. So if I, if, I, if I don't look enthusiastic when I see you, it's because I probably couldn't see you or see your name tag at the time. So please don't ever take offense. But do approach me. And if there's anything I can do for anybody else, uh, please let me know. So God bless all of you. And thank you very much for your attention. Hello, this is Father Len McNall. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern, supporting the podcast financially, your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.